Today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report is brought to you by Floor. We're building a better world. Welcome to the Gone Fission Nuclear Report, your one-stop source for all the latest news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program. Now, here's your host, Michael Butler. Hello, and welcome to the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. Today is Monday, July 10th, 2023. We're covering all the news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the country. We thank our friends at Fluor for being presenting sponsor for today's episode. DOE's EM cleanup program is complex, expensive, and long-term. It requires experienced management, a skilled workforce, continual funding from Congress, consultation with regulators, buy-in and support from communities and other stakeholders, setting priorities, measuring milestones, and lots of careful planning. For the layman who follows the program, that planning is best conveyed in EM's strategic vision. The vision covers a 10-year period and is updated annually. In today's episode, we'll take a look at the latest EM strategic vision covering the coming decade from 2023 to 2033. I think you'll learn a lot from today's discussion, which will include a lot of facts and figures and an interview with two officials from DOE headquarters. Here's Eric Oles, EM's Director of Communications. If you look at it holistically, um, for about three decades, really more than 30 years now, you know, the EM program has really tackled one of the largest cleanup efforts in, in the world. In fact, it likely is the largest cleanup project in the world. And, and that project has really been to address the legacy of decades of nuclear weapons production and government-sponsored nuclear research. And EM's had its fair share of challenges over its history, but we've also realized tremendous success, as you pointed out. And if you really think about it, you know, we've cleaned and closed major weapons sites across the country. We, we built the nation's first geologic repository. Um, we built complex one-of-a-kind facilities for tre- treating different kinds of waste. Um, and we safely demolished some of the largest and most complex buildings in the world. And in really doing that, we've addressed some of our most urgent risks in the overall cleanup, and we've gained incredible experience that we can apply to the future for the cleanup that we have yet to do. Um, You know, this version of EM's 10-year strategic vision really illustrates that the program is really poised for another set of accomplishments in the decades to come. And we'll have more right after this from Fleur. The program began in 1989. At that time, there was environmental contamination at 107 DOE sites in the U.S. For perspective, all told, these sites were the equivalent in size 
of Delaware and Rhode Island combined. At that time, host communities, tribal nations, regulators, and others had little information about the extent and complexity of contamination at most DOE sites. The challenge was dawning and unprecedented in many ways. EM would embark on the most aggressive and ambitious environmental cleanup program in the nation's history. The scope of cleanup included 1,000 metric tons of weapons-grade uranium, more than 100 metric tons of plutonium, 90 million gallons of liquid radioactive waste, 700,000 metric tons of depleted uranium, 5,000 contaminated facilities, millions of cubic meters of contaminated soil, and billions of gallons of contaminated groundwater. The mission would call for teardown of some of the world's largest structures, aging buildings laced with contamination from radioactive and chemical materials that posed serious threats to workers and required meticulous attention to safety unheard of in any previous cleanup effort. Despite the risks, as the strategic plan illustrates, the program has recorded major achievements with an impressive safety record. EM and its contractor partners have cleaned and closed major former weapon sites across the country, built the nation's first geological repository to safely manage and dispose of radioactive waste, built complex first-of-a-kind facilities to address one of the government's largest environmental risks, and successfully and safely demolished some of the largest buildings ever constructed. Progress over the past 30 years has been remarkable. EM's combined active remediation footprint has been reduced by 90% from about 3,300 square miles to fewer than 300 square miles. The original 107 contaminated sites have been reduced to 15. We'll be back with more right after this from Fleur. Looking ahead, here are a few of the EM cleanup priorities for the coming year as outlined in the strategic vision. Hanford will continue to advance towards startup of the direct feed low activity waste program. At Savannah River site will process 4 million gallons of waste at the Defense Waste Processing Facility. Los Alamos will ship legacy transuranic waste to the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. Moab, Utah will dispose of 1 million tons of uranium mill tailings. Idaho will continue operation of the Integrated Waste Treatment Unit. And Oak Ridge will continue progress toward disposal of uranium-233 and construction of a new mercury treatment facility. Other EM priorities include recruiting workers for current and future cleanup needs, 
continued implementation of in-task contracting through task orders, enhanced technology and innovation, improved means of waste disposal, continued emphasis on environmental justice and climate change. This is by no means an exhausted list, but gives you an idea of the type of work that lies ahead. In reviewing the latest EM strategic vision, I had the opportunity to talk with two senior executives in the EM communications department at headquarters. My guests today are Eric Oles, EM Director of Communications, and Lee Tucker, a manager in EM's external communications group. We're talking today with uh, two officials at DOE headquarters about the strategic plan, and I'm very happy to have on the podcast today Eric Oles, who is a Director of Communications for the EM uh, program, and Lee Tucker, uh, who's a member of the external uh, communications team, heads that team up, and uh, we're very happy to have uh, both Lee and Eric uh, on the podcast. Welcome, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, let's start by talking about the uh, plan itself. Um, uh, you issue this plan, the strategic plan, every year. Uh, and I'd like to know why you do this. Uh, what is the purpose of the plan, and how does it help guide the EM program? Uh, Eric, could we start with you? Sure, that, that sounds fantastic. I, I'd be happy to lead off, and Lee, please add anything that you'd like to. Um, I, one of my favorite sayings is, if, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So I really see the vision as, as the what, the where, and the who of what EM wants to become in the future. Um, the mission is why EM exists. It's, it's really our purpose or our passion, our cause. Um, the strategic vision, which we're talking about, is, is really intended to help us gaze, um, gaze further out into the future to a place where we want to be in the future. And it really sets EM on a course that will span about a decade because we look at it about a decade at a time for the vision that really inspires all of us to uh, achieve our mission in, in EM. Now, there's lots of benefits to having a compelling vision. Um, you, can, you can read a lot about those, and, and I do believe organizations should have a vision. Um, for EM in particular, I think the purpose of setting a vision is, is really primarily twofold. It, it's really there to create that long-term strategy for where the organization is going and where it wants to be in the future. And secondly, it, it really aligns everyone around that direction that we're heading in the future. And that alignment is very important to us achieving our cleanup of goals. Yeah, anything to add there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the EM the mission, it's a large one. And it's a, it's, there's a lot of talented people that go into um, uh, making this organization work. And the collaboration between all the departments within EM, uh, you know, it, it's it's shown on a daily basis. But when we're talking about future planning, to see that level of communication and organization and the, you know, the proverbial heads come together to uh, talk about the future of the organization, it really is inspiring and, and, and they do some amazing work. Well, very good. Uh, the plan points out that uh, 
the number of uh, cleanup sites uh, in the DOE complex has uh, uh, been reduced from the original 107 locations to the current 15 locations. And uh, that indicates quite a bit of progress uh, in the program uh, over the years that uh, EM has been in existence. Uh, is it fair to say that the uh, big number that we started out with, uh, the 107, included a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit, uh, uh, you might call it, that uh, could be taken care of quickly, and now we're down to uh, uh, what, what you might consider the stubborn remnants uh, uh, that pose the toughest cleanup challenges, sort of like the sludge in the bottom of the waste tank. Uh, uh, were the first 100 as challenging as the last 15? That's another great question. I'll go ahead and lead off again here. I, if you look at it holistically, um, for about three decades, really more than 30 years now, you know, the EM program has really tackled one of the largest cleanup efforts in, in the world. In fact, it likely is the largest cleanup project in the world. And, and that project has really been to address the legacy of decades of nuclear weapons production and government-sponsored nuclear research. And EM's had its fair share of challenges over its history, but we've also realized tremendous success, as you pointed out. And if you really think about it, you know, we've cleaned and closed major weapons sites across the country. We've, we built the nation's first geologic repository. Um, we've built complex one-of-a-kind facilities for tre treating different kinds of waste. Um, and we safely demolished some of the largest and most complex buildings in the world. And in really doing that, we've addressed some of our most urgent risks in the overall cleanup, and we've gained incredible experience that we can apply to the future for the cleanup that we have yet to do. Um, you know, this version of EM's 10-year strategic vision really illustrates that the program is really poised for another set of accomplishments in the decades to come. And while some of our biggest challenges are ahead, I think that's really more of a factor of the size and complexity of those challenges at some of our sites than really a decision to, to wait and tackle other projects. You know, when you, when you hear Eric say it like that, I think it's tough to say that any of the work that we've done to this point has ever been low-hanging fruit. I mean, this is... This is challenging work, and it's been a, a, a great effort from the organizations. Uh, I, I really think it's important to note also that we're always learning. You know, those those first hundred laid the foundation for the work that we're doing today. Well, each year, uh, EM identifies uh, important milestones that need to be completed uh, during the coming year. And the plan uh, discusses some of the accomplishments of the past year, I wonder if you could uh, kind of summarize what some of those accomplishments were uh, during uh, 2022 and 2023. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and here's where, where I, I probably won't do the program justice in the amount of time that we have, because we, we do every year publish an annual um, mission and priorities where we really pick out um, a, a set of key priorities that we want to focus on across the United States, across the EM complex. And that in no way represents all of the work that's going on within the environmental management program. It's, it's, it's a, an impressive body of work that we do annually at all of our sites. But, but we do pick out a couple of key projects. And then at the end of the year, um, we, we rate ourselves. We really uh, do a report card where we, we 
um, look at the progress on those key priorities, and we we give that to the public so everyone understands the progress and the successes that we've had on a on a year to year basis. I'd really encourage people to take a look at our our scorecard and our year in review because it it really gives more of an in depth look at the work that we're doing across the complex. But you know some of the things that just to touch on a few of the accomplishments. You know at our waste isolation pilot plant in New Mexico. We received 235 transuranic waste shipments um, at our Los Alamos field office in the same state. We completed uh, 52 transuranic waste shipments to the waste isolation pilot plant. Um, That is a huge priority, getting waste out of Los Alamos and to the waste isolation pilot plant. So, So by surpassing our goal, that was a huge accomplishment for the program. Um, in Idaho, we, we started a, a nuclear facility for treating waste that they have at that site, and we completed the exhumation of a, a radioactive waste um, subsurface disposal area, a big piece of work for Idaho. Hanford, one of our biggest and most complex sites, we started the first large-scale treatment of, t- of waste from underground tanks. I mean, that's huge for that site. We've been working on tank waste treatment at Hanford literally for decades. Um, Portsmouth in Ohio, you know, we completed demolition of a 2.6 million square foot process building. And these are huge buildings that were used for uranium enrichment, primarily during the Cold War. They're massive facilities, full of equipment, and very complex. Um, at our West Valley site in, in New York, you know, we, we started demolition of a, a facility we call the main plant process um, building. And it, that's a key facility. Some some vitrification and waste treatment work was actually done at that site in the 70s and 80s. And we're, we're now getting to the point where we're, we're taking down those facilities, which is very important to, do, to New York and the program as well. Um, our Oak Ridge site in Tennessee, we completed uh, the cleanup and we transferred of uh, an area called the biology complex from EM to a different program within DOE, an important piece of cleanup work that actually is making the way for other programs in the department to expand their missions and do important science and national de- defense work. Um, at our Savannah River site in South Carolina, we're, we're treating tank waste there. We have an active tank waste treatment system underway. We have a host of small sites, um, just one of them that I would name, Moab. Um, we, we've disposed of a cumulative 13 million tons out of a estimated 16 million tons of uranium mill tailings. That work is going very well there as well. Um, and again, I, I would love to list everything we've done around the complex. We probably don't have time for it in, in the space of this show, but I'd really encourage everyone to go look for themselves and see the amount of work that we're doing. Well, the, um, it's obviously, uh, it's a long list and uh, it's very impressive work that's uh, being done under very uh, hazardous and challenging conditions. And uh, you've got a great workforce out there, uh, well-trained folks who are dedicated to the mission and, uh, so uh, it's, it's it's good to uh, to have you recite that list, even if it's partial, because uh, I think people get a good feeling for the amount of work that actually is being accomplished on a very successful basis. Uh, your plan uh, identifies four sites uh, where uh, cleanup work uh, will be completed over the next decade, and 
These are the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, the Moab site, which you mentioned in Utah, the Nevada National Security Site, and Sandia National Laboratories in New Mexico. Um, how significant is completion of cleanup at these sites to the overall program, and how will uh, finishing these sites benefit the remaining cleanup program at the other sites from the standpoint of budgets or other things that uh, would help clean up overall? Lee, do you want to lead off on this one? You know, there's no better visual sign of EM's progress than completing work at a site. You know, I'll go back to Eric mentioning the work at Moab. He and I had the pleasure of visiting uh, there in December and helping celebrate that cumulative 13 million tons uh, being disposed of from the site. Uh, just a couple months ago, the last remaining building from that site was demolished. So, you know, it, it, it's a building, you know, what's a building? But again, as you said, it's important for the community to see, it's important for our stakeholders to see. And when they see that last building come down, it's a huge milestone for the organization and for that community. Uh, absolutely. That, I think that was perfectly. And, and you know, beyond the, the obvious benefits of, of really risk reduction and that cleanup experience as well, you know, completing work at our sites really makes communities safer, safer as Lee pointed out. And, and it really in support, supports national security and science missions, too. A, a lot of the sites at which EM operates, there are other programs also operating. Um, there's an active defense mission still underway in this country, and there are science missions. We have national labs. And a lot of the cleanup that we do makes land, uh, makes facilities, infrastructure, other things available for these programs to use as they continue to ramp up in their missions. So we're really supporting a lot of other missions in the work that we do. And as Lee pointed out, I, I can't stress enough that the work we do and the fact that you can actually see the difference in, in these sites. It, it's not what's there. In many cases, it's what's not there um, in that we're taking down buildings and, and removing equipment and cleaning up soil and groundwater, that builds trust and, and continued support for the remaining cleanup. And that's very important as we continue to work with stakeholders, tribal na nations, Congress, and others. Well, the plan uh, says that in uh, 2023, you're not only focused on reducing risk, but you've also been empowered to uh, strengthen the communities near DOE sites that have uh, uh, done so much in making contributions uh, to the national security of the country by supporting these sites. Uh, what are some of the things uh, you're doing to make sure uh, that uh, you, you are strengthening communities? What does that mean? Uh, the, this is this is one of my favorite questions, and I'm really glad you asked it. Um, I, I like how Lee pointed out that the work we do is it's not only important to the communities, it's important that they see that we're making progress in the work that we do. You know, many of the communities that, that are at the sites where we're doing our cleanup work, they've really shouldered the burden of either defense missions or research missions for many years um, before the environmental mission um, began. And, and now they're, they're really hosting us, if you will, 
as we do our cleanup mission at those sites. Um, I think our job is not just to clean up and reduce risk at these sites, but to really protect those communities because they did so much for national security and the other missions in this country. And, and how we do cleanup very much impacts the economic future of these communities. You know, in many cases, it, it, and if you look at the map, um, many of our sites are, are not located in populated areas. I mean, the, the location of these sites was specifically chosen um, because they were remote and they had access to water or power. Or they had other attributes that were, were attractive for their mission. So in many cases, the communities that grew up around these sites were very much focused, if you will, um, on those sites. Um, the people in the community worked at the site. Um, the businesses that grew up in the community um, supported the workers that worked at those sites. So um, what we do is we're cleaning up in, impacts the future of these communities. You know, at some sites, we provide cleaned up or excess lands to local economic development entities, and those lands are actually used for more economic development. So they can bring other industries in, industry in that can create jobs that will essentially replace the jobs um, that are going to go away at some point once cleanup is, is done. Um, and as I said, at, at other sites, our cleanup really paves the way for, for defense programs and science um, to expand their missions, and, which means, again, um, jobs and, and careers and economic stability for the communities around those sites. And the communities are such valuable partners for us, you know, in, in so many cases, their residents have worked at the sites for generations, you know, so they have a vested interest in the work that we do and are, are, are truly valuable partners. Well, uh, one of your biggest priorities uh, in EM is ensuring an adequate workforce. Uh, not only for the work at hand uh, at present, but also preparing for the future and the work that lies uh, in the years ahead. Uh, and you're devoting uh, a lot of effort uh, to uh, uh, the, 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 uh, developing the workforce for the future. Tell us, uh, the plan talks about that. Uh, tell us about some of the things you're doing to make sure you have enough trained workers uh, to complete the cleanup mission. Well, First of all, I, you know, I, I'd like to say we, uh, our workforce really is the common denominator for all of the success and, and progress that we're talking about in, in this program. I mean, I think we have the best workforce in the world in, in terms of their dedication, uh, their experience, um, their ability to not only get the job done, but come up with some fairly creative solutions to problems that were literally created decades ago. So it's a fantastic workforce. Um, we're hiring. So if you're watching this podcast, you know, please visit our, our Office of Environmental Management website to learn about some of the opportunities. Um, you know, we're expanding programs for students and students who have recently graduated from college. As a matter of fact, within the last couple of weeks, we just brought in our our latest um, group, if you will, 
of, of recent graduates and interns that are still in college. So we're really trying to get at that workforce that's, that's still having their educational experience. Um, we've really extended our recruiting um, efforts and targeting candidates through social media and web-based platforms. So we're really trying to go to places now that, that people are looking um, for opportunities. We held our first job fair this year at a major conference, and, and it was fantastically successful. Um, we're increasing our work with students below the college level. We're doing a lot more in, in STEM, and we're making a significant investment through our, our minority-serving uh, institutions partnership program. That's a bit of a mouthful, but our, our minority-serving program really works with a network of colleges around the United States and opens up opportunities for uh, people in scientific and engineering fields to really get a taste of the work we do, um, not only here in headquarters, but at our sites around the country and actually work on those cleanup activities um, to see if they'd be interested in a, in a future career in those fields. Can I share a quick story? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Eric talked about uh, creative solutions uh, as well as our minority serving institutions partnership program. I had the pleasure of participating in the judging of presentations that these MSIPP students gave at our waste management symposia back in March. I can't tell you how much I was blown away by the research, the creativity, and really the passion that these students had on display. Some of the solutions that they presented just blew away the judging panel. And, and it really is a clear example of that investment that you talked about at work. This is the future of our organization. And, you know, to be able to um, recruit that talent that uh, creates these inspiring creative solutions. It's, it's just so meaningful. Some people uh, might, who read the plan might be surprised uh, at the fact that's contained in there that 95% of the EM budget uh, is utilized through contracting uh, uh, with industry partners. Uh, the federal component of EM is relatively small uh, compared to the uh, contractor community that supports uh, the, the cleanup program and actually carries out a lot of the work. Uh, you've modified your contracts uh, to a, what's called an in-state contracting model. Uh, how has this benefited the cleanup program in terms of efficiency, and has there been any benefit to the taxpayer who's footing the bill for the cleanup? That that's a good question. And, and you know, within that that 95% that you pointed out, 95% uh, of our work is carried out through through contracts, essentially. And keep in mind that, um, you know, EM's workforce on the contractor side is, is about 30,000 people. That varies somewhat with the level of work that's, that's going on. But about on a daily basis, we have about 30,000 men and women working across the United States on our various cleanup activities. So um, it, it does require a lot of focus um, on, on our contracts, which is, as you pointed out, the primary vehicle we use to, to get work done at these sites. So in the in-state contracting model, 
Um, EM actually negotiates the, the scope, the, the cost and schedule on specific elements of work. And we do that through task orders in what we call an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract, um, instead of using kind of a traditional cost-based contract that, that often, and those contracts often span 10 and even sometimes more years and, and typically have more, I'll say, general scopes of work. And, and that model, the end-state contracting model, really provides EM the ability to, to group work um, under the contract into very specific task orders. So it allows us to go, to go after very specific activities um, at our sites. Um, and that allows better clarity and, and really shorter timeframes, as well as provides more accurate cost and schedule targets for the work that we want to do. As, as you can imagine, at some of our sites where we literally have decades of work to go, it, it is difficult in a contract vehicle um, to look at that span of time and really kind of accurately predict where we're going from a, from a cost and schedule perspective. So being able to chunk, if you will, that work down into very specific bites where we have more clarity on what we want to accomplish and how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take is a significant benefit to the, to the department. And it also provides more of what, what I would call an accountability structure that's really designed to motivate contractors towards improved cost and schedule performance um, because they're not being placed in a position as well um, where they're looking at such a long um, period of time and trying to accurately predict what might happen in the future. Do you have anything to add there? I can't talk about Okay. Um, it's, it's hard for some people to believe, but the EM program uh, is approaching 35 years old. Uh, having uh, been born in uh, 1989, uh, the few sites uh, still have decades of work uh, left to do. Uh, thinking about Hanford there, which uh, some people are estimating at maybe uh, 50 to 60 years of work left. Uh, uh, as you look ahead, um, uh, what are some of the challenges and obstacles that exist to uh, timely completion of the cleanup program? Uh, and, and do you feel like uh, EM uh, is on track uh, to finish the job in a timely way? So I'll go ahead and, and lead off again. So I, I spent most of my time in, in the field at sites in, in Washington State. That would be Hanford and, and then in Nevada. Um, at the time, it was called the Nevada test site. Um, and I most recently came to headquarters. I, I've been here about a year and a half now. And it working at head, headquarters has really given me the benefit of seeing the length and breadth of the EM program. And it, it's really impressive. And one thing I've learned at headquarters is that EM is really a, a can-do program with a really dedicated and experienced workforce strong congressional support, and really pretty good alignment with communities and stakeholders and, and tribal nations, which I said is so important to, to getting the work and the progress that we've talked about during this program. You know, as I pointed out earlier, we, we've cleaned and closed major weapons sites across the country, um, and, and that work continues today. And, and based on EM's experience and progress to date, I'm confident EM can finish this job. Um, if you look at it from a challenges 
challenge perspective. Um, I, I think there'll always be challenges when you're you're dealing with one of the largest environmental legacies in the world. Um, I I think coming from a from a site like Hanford, I would say one of the biggest challenges still is is the unknowns. And you might say after 30 years, we understand everything there is to understand about these sites. But I think people really need to keep in mind that, you know, the environmental legacy that we're dealing with now was really the result of, of our defense and nuclear research missions in this country um, much, much earlier in its history. And at the time, in, environment, the environment was was really not the focus of those programs. Um, and so as we continue the cleanup at, at sites like Hanford, um, there will always be unknowns that you encounter. And, and those can be a challenge in terms of additional work that may need to be done or doing that work in a different way because the challenge that you encounter requires a very specific solution. Um, so encountering that legacy waste or challenges or the way that we have to do work or just with aging facilities, some of which are now you know, 60 years old or more, um, can add both time and cost to a, to a program like EM. Lee, did you, did you want to add to that? You know, really, uh, the only thing I can add to it is, you know, I'm relatively new to the peanut mission. I've been with EM for just a couple of years now, you know, coming from 20 years in the Department of Defense. And what's really struck me about this mission is the, you said it, it's that can-do program. It's, it's the can-do attitude that is prevalent throughout the agency and um, the ability to come up with new innovative solutions to tackle those challenging problems that you mentioned, it's, it's really inspiring to me. Um, and, and we work together with our communities, our congressional delegates, our, our, um, you know, our partner agencies uh, in a way that I've not experienced anywhere else in my federal career. So, yeah. Well, given uh, that 35-year uh, history, um, um, let's talk about how the uh, EM program, the cleanup program, has evolved and uh, improved over the years, uh, uh, becoming more streamlined, more efficient, uh, incorporating uh, innovation and new technology, uh, uh, improving safety. Uh, I've heard, uh, for example, uh, at Hanford in the tank waste program uh, a few years ago, people had referred to it as a clipboard operation uh, that now um, really exhibits uh, all the uh, characteristics of a 21st century uh, uh, operation with a lot of innovation and technology having been incorporated. Can you talk about that a little bit, about how the program has changed and improved over the years? Absolutely. And, I, and, you know, I think I want to take a little bit of a different approach to the answer on this um, and, and, and really even tie it back to the discussion that we just had on on workforce and, and bringing people into the program. You know, EM's historical accomplishments have always been aided by technology and research and development. And, and even 
to today, R&D continues to play a, a pretty central role, role in, our, in our cleanup priorities. And we really do leverage the expertise of the national labs, um, other DOE programs, industry, academia, but, but really a, a lot of, of what we do, it, we, we owe to the men and women that do these jobs every day. As I said, you know, they, they provide some of the most creative and innovative solutions to some of the problems that we're facing at these sites. So, so really listening to our employees and ensuring um, that we understand the challenge and how we need to tackle the challenge and coming up with those solutions is extremely important. Um, the other piece it's also bringing people in, bringing those fresh perspectives, um, bringing those new ideas in. I, I think when you come into an organization and you're new, that is really the best time to take a look at the work that is being done and, and really provide that out-of-the-box perspective, if you will. Um, and, and if we can keep our workforce refreshed, and, and, and I think across the board, not only with uh, the more academic fields, our scientists and our engineers and the other folks, um, but also with our, our, our tradespeople and the people that are doing the work every day at our sites. If, if we can keep our workforce refreshed with those perspectives and bringing people in that can bring in those new ideas and new methods and new ways of doing things and also look at some of our historical problems and maybe give us a, a, a a, some different insight on how we tackle those problems, um, I think we will continue to keep ourselves refreshed as a program. Lee, did you want to, did you want to add that given, given your newness? <laughs> no, no, I mean, nothing I could say could, uh, could top that, you know, it's, I, I go back to that, uh, you know, that panel, the judging the presentations of the MSIPP panel, and I think back to those students and just how brilliant they were. And looking at some of our EM colleagues that have been in the complex for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and they're looking at some of the solutions that these students are coming up with and just looking at each other in awe. And, you know, just and you can see it on their face. That they're literally looking at the future of the program. It's it really is awe inspiring. The technology is great, but we have to remember that technology is developed by people, and you know we've got some amazing people. Well, we've covered uh, a lot of territory in this uh, interview in the last few minutes. Uh, I'd like to do two things uh, in closing. One. Uh, uh, Eric, can you tell us uh, where uh, our viewers and listeners uh, can uh, access the strategic plan if they want to look at it, uh, review it? Uh, where can they see it? And secondly, uh, is there anything else that you or Lee would like to add uh, that we haven't uh, asked you about today? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start off and, and thank you. Um, for information, you know, if you go to the Department of Energy's website at energy.gov, it's, it's very straightforward. Um, we're, a, we're a major program, obviously, within the Department of Energy, and we're the program that does cleanup. There's a lot of other interesting missions in, in the Department of Energy, but again, I would encourage everyone to see what, we, what we're doing in EM. 
um, and look for the EM program. And, and you'll find not only some of the documents that we talked about today, but a lot of information on, on a lot of really interesting work that is going on across the country. And, and again, I'll, I'll say, having spent most of my time at Hanford in Washington State and the Nevada test site, I thought those two sites were perhaps the most rich in terms of, of history and complexity and and things that I did not know about the history of this country. And in this position, I've really had the benefit, as I said, to not only see what's going on across the complex. Um, Lee pointed out that we made a, a trip to Moab. I've had the opportunity to visit most of our other sites and, and there is an amazing history with every one of those sites and how they contributed to this country's defense or research missions. And the work that's going on at those sites today is equally fascinating. So I would really encourage everyone to go look at that information. And, and, and as I said, the, the historical value alone is, is, is amazing. Um, overall, I, I would say I would like to leave folks with, with this idea, you know, the EM program's combined active remediation footprint has really been reduced by about 90% in the work that we've done so far, that three decades or 30 years that we've talked about. I mean, that that's a reduction from about 3,300 square miles to really then fewer than 300 square miles of, of active cleanup work if you added it all up. So that that's an incredible amount of progress that that we've made across the complex, really in our first 30 years. Um, yes, there's a lot of challenges and work work ahead, but I, I think with the can-do attitude and the workforce and the support from Congress that we've talked about and all the other attributes, um, we're on a good path to complete that work. So I, I think the state of the program is strong and moving forward safely and, and always with the taxpayer in mind. Lee, uh, any parting thoughts? You know, I just encourage everyone to to learn more about the program. You know, again, visit energy.gov forward slash EM. Really easy to find. And, you know, check out our social media accounts, too. You're going to learn about what we're doing there on a daily basis. At the bottom of the page, you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube links. And, uh, yeah, come learn more about EM. And uh, as Eric said in the beginning, we're hiring well, Eric Oles and Lee Tucker, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. We appreciate having you here. It's been very uh, interesting and informative. And uh, thank you again for being with us. Thank you. Today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report is brought to you by Floor. We're building a better world. Thank you.